Welcome to the 47th episode of the Head Kick KO podcast. Today we are taking a look at UFC 268. After that, we are going to talk about UFC Fight Night Max Holloway versus Yair Rodriguez. So make sure you stick around for that as well. And before we get started breaking down the main event in Usman versus Covington, let's give credit where credit is due. This was a tremendous card from top to bottom. We had two tremendous fights on the main card. We had two really close title fights that could have gone either way. Uh, we had some tremendous knockouts, um, a handful of knockouts that could have earned knockout of the night on other cards. So just a shout out to everyone who performed because we saw some great performances, uh, very impressive, and we ended up having a great card. So I just wanted to lead with that. And now we're going to get in to Kamara Usman versus Colby Covington. This was a tremendous fight, very close fight, like I mentioned before. And as much as I am not a Colby Covington fan, um, most people dislike Colby Covington, you have to give credit to Colby for making this a fight. Me personally, I didn't think Colby was going to make it out of this fight. I thought Kamara was going to win by knockout from some of Kamara's previous fights. Um, there's really there was really nothing to go off of that said you shouldn't pick Kamaru by KO. I mean he's won his last two fights by KO or TKO, and he finished Colby via TKO. So really coming in, it was a combination of Kamaru winning the last fight and seeing the improvements Kamaru has made in his game, and. Come to find out, Colby was also improving, but he was improving behind the scenes. We weren't seeing what he was doing. He came in and looked very good. Um, so credit to Colby for that. And But Kamaro came in with a great game plan and put on a great performance. I really, really like how Kamaro was able to walk Colby down. He never really let Colby pressure him too much. And a lot of the times we see Colby find success when he's able to push you up against a cage, volume strike, get in the clinch, throw some elbows when you disengage. That's one of the things uh, Colby did very well in this fight. Anytime they were in the clinch, Colby threw some really nice elbows uh, when disengaging. He was able to land a couple of those, but um, in other five-round Colby Covington fights, he's able to land a lot more of those. So... For Kamaru to minimize one of Colby's best and most efficient strikes to only a couple times, um, to only have it occur a couple of times, is very impressive as well. And Kamaru landed a lot of leg kicks. That's a very good strategy against Colby. If Colby's going to try and walk you down, landing leg kicks is a good way to dissuade him from doing that. So those two things, very, very good game plans for Kamaru Usman. And you can tell the work with Trevor Whitman has really paid off because he is continuing to look better on the feet here. In those first two rounds, he was very dominant. I mean, I thought he was going to get the finish in the second round. And um, after the round was over, after the second round, I thought Colby was a dead man walking. And credit to Colby. We're going to talk about Colby's performance here next. But credit to Colby for losing those first two rounds and losing them by wide margins as well. Um, that second round was not close. I scored the second round at 10-8. We're going to talk about the scoring because I have a lot to say here, and I think this is a really interesting fight to score and uh, talk about the scoring of this fight. But with that being said, 
Kobe was able to come back and win some rounds after Kamaru was so dominant in the early rounds. So credit for Kobe to being able for being able to withstand the early punishment and turning the script around a little bit later. And there were a couple times even where it was either at the end of the third or fourth round, Kobe landed a big shot, and you kind of see Kamaru's legs shake. I mean, uh, I believe it was the third round, if I remember correctly. But, you know, so this wasn't all Usman, despite how well he looked. Kobe still had his moments, and he got a takedown. I don't really want to debate what the definition of a takedown is in, in MMA. I mean, I could pull it up right now, and, you know, MMA scoring, when we're talking about takedowns, is weird. I don't like the way takedowns are scored, so I really don't care to discuss the technical term of what a takedown is in MMA. One thing I do know is that in a wrestling room, that is a takedown. He had Kobe had Kamaru on all fours, and he had control, um, and he was on the back. I mean, even though he wasn't in that position for a long amount of time, that is still uh, would be two in in a college wrestling match, in a high school wrestling match, in an Olympic wrestling match. I mean, that that's a takedown. Now, I'm sure we could look deeper into what the technical definition of a takedown is in MMA, and we might be able to get something different. Either way, pointless, um, but that is effectively a takedown, even if they didn't score it. A takedown and so credit to Colby for even being able to get him in that position and that's what Kamara also said after the fight I saw he said that he credited Colby for even getting that deep on a takedown whether you score that a takedown whether you don't score it a takedown not many guys are going to be able to get in that position anyways so uh, credit to Colby for showing some effective grappling there now um like I said, both guys were impressive, but now we are going to talk about the scoring. The way this was scored is two judges gave it a 48-47, and one judge gave it a 49-46. The two judges that gave it a 48-47 gave Kamaro rounds 1, 2, and 5, I believe. I'd have to uh, look back. But any time that we talk about scoring in this podcast i will always 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 tell you what verdict mma said if you don't know what verdict mma is it's basically an app that you can predict fights on and you can score fights on so while a fight is happening it allows people to enter basically who they thought won the round so you kind of watch along at the end of each round and you score now um it also, what it does with those scores is it compiles those scores into a global scorecard that tell you the wide opinion of who won a particular round, and it will give you a, a score um, kind of like a percentage. For example, uh, the fifth round of the Kamaru Usman versus Colby Covington match, I believe, was a 9.54 to 9.49 in favor of Kamaru Usman. So these aren't exact percentages. Um, obviously, 0.59 and 0.49 don't add up to 100, but um, there's there's a little bit of variation for 10-8 rounds and things like that. So it always isn't going to come out to 100, but basically it gives you a good idea of who won each round. Now, Verdict MMA gave Usman's, Usman 
rounds one, two, and five. Like I said, round five was the closest round in this fight. And but round one, they gave to Usman by a pretty decent margin. Round two, they gave to Usman by a pretty decent margin. And they gave Colby rounds three and four. Um, one of those was by a pretty decent margin. One was by a um, thinner margin. I think one was 9.64 in um, favor, or 9.6. It was 9.6 to 9.4 in favor of Colby. So um, verdict. if you look at Verdict MMA and care about a global opinion on what the scores were, you would score the fight rounds 1 and 2 and 5 for Usman, rounds 3 and 4 for Colby. Walking out of there with a 48-47 victory for Kamaru. Now let's talk about my scorecard. Um, me personally, the only dissenting opinion I, I had from the scorecards, uh, from the global scorecards, were was excuse me was in round five. I gave Colby round five. Now that was me watching that round live and. Uh, I haven't rewatched it, right? But round five is by far the closest round in this fight and pretty much a 50-50 round. I lean towards Colby because of that, some of that cage control um, that comes into account when it's an incredibly close round. I think the striking was pretty even. Um, so I lean Colby, but um, I'm not. I'm not in a position where if you disagreed with that, I'd tell you you were wrong. No, I, I think that um, saying Colby or Kamaro winning round five would be an okay opinion to have. Um, so I'm not here to argue who won round five because I don't think anybody's wrong in scoring round five as long as you scored it a 10-9 for somebody. Um, and with that being said, I also scored around two a 10-8 for Kamaru, I think with two drops and almost getting a finish, uh, I scored it a 10-8. And outside of the moments, and let me preface this, I don't think that getting a knockdown always ensures you a 10-8. But the moments where leading up to the knockdown, especially at the end of the round where he almost got the finish, um, he was still in control. For example, if you look at Chandler versus Oliveira, uh, the first round of that fight, I don't score that fight a 10-8 or that round a 10-8 because Oliveira had some very strong positions, took the back of Chandler, and he won a lot of exchanges early in the round. Later in the round, Chandler pulls ahead and gets a knockdown. So I think where it becomes a 10-8 is when you control the round even outside of your knockdown and you're almost finished, right? Um, so that's why I gave that a 10-8. And uh, so my scorecard, I had it 47-47 with a draw. Now, once again, I think the correct, there's two correct scorecards I think you could have. I think 48-47 makes a lot of sense for Usman. And I think 47-47 makes a lot of sense. So I don't think you could score this fight in Colby Covington's favor. Even if you give him three rounds, I think round two has to be a 10-8. But um, once again... I'm not here to argue round five. So if you gave it four, if you scored it four, Usman, nothing against you. Um, I, I think you might be correct. However, one thing I will say, four rounds for Kamaro is pretty 
unrealistic. I think Colby very clearly won round three and round four. So I don't think you could make a case that um, I don't think you could make a case that Usman won four rounds. So, um, and that's not me complaining about this, the fact that I gave it to Usman. Um, I've seen a lot of people discussing the scores, so I wanted to raise uh, what the global opinions were and then what my opinion was. And we are going to talk about scoring once again when we get to Rose versus Wei Li because that is even an even closer fight. And for Rose versus Wei Li, you could make a very strong case that Wei Li won that fight. And you could also, um, the 49-46 in that fight was much worse but we're gonna get we're gonna get more in depth in that um in a little bit so before we move on to that rose versus Whaley co-main event we're gonna talk about what is next for colby covington and kamaru Usman. now um the one fight that plays a massive factor for both of these guys is leon edwards versus jorge masvidal and if Leon Edwards wins that fight, we're gonna. I think we're gonna have a very clear showing of what we're doing moving forward. If Leon Edwards beats Masvidal, I think it's very clear that he has earned a title shot, and then we would look to Colby Covington versus Jorge Masvidal, and I think that would be a fight that you have to make, and. Um, the only pushback I think you could give on those is the Covington versus Masvidal. The question there would be, do you give Masvidal that chance against Colby when he'll probably be ranked 8th or ninth? when Colby's going to be ranked 1st, 2nd, or 3rd, maybe 4th at the absolute worst um, by the time that happens? But Colby seems open to that fight happening. So I think it would still be realistic even if Masvidal loses. Now, if Masvidal wins that fight, this division is going to be in a really interesting spot because do you, you'd have a lot to think about. Do you give Leon Edwards a title shot coming off a loss to Masvidal? Probably not. Do you give Masvidal a title shot after a win over Leon Edwards? Probably not, considering he's already lost twice to the champ. Um, you don't do a Col- you don't do a Colby trilogy, especially maybe down the road. Um, definitely not right now. Burns hasn't done much to earn it. That would really leave L- Vicente Luque. If Luque fights Nate Diaz, I know they've been talking about that fight for January, but I think the talks there have stalled. So if Luque could get a win, maybe he could sneak in there. But we are in. A really interesting spot if if Jorge Masvidal is able to get it done in December. And we're going to talk more about that in December, obviously, when that fight takes place. Um, the other names there outside of that, you've got Burns, obviously. You've got Vicente Luque. And you've got Hazmat Chimaev. Those are the other three names that could really mix stuff up here at 170 pounds. And really, it really, because these, these three guys are really all unbooked, um, depending on who they get booked against, they might be able to earn themselves the next title shot. For example, you've 
got Burns. If Burns goes against Colby and gets in a an impressive victory, does he earn his way back to a title shot? Um, if Luke goes against Colby and gets a win, does that get him a title shot? Probably. So I think there's a lot of directions this division is going to go next. But um, I think it's all going to be centered around what happens in December against Edwards versus Masvidal. And then Burns, Luke and Chimaev are going to have a lot to say as to what happens next if um, Edwards loses. Hazmat especially, because they want that Hazmat Chimaev versus Usman fight. They just have to get, they really just have to give Chimaev one win against someone, someone notable in that division where he could justify a title shot. Another fight quick here before we leave um, this discussion is Covington versus Burns. I wouldn't be surprised if they booked that, especially if the Masvidal Covington fight doesn't happen because Burns and Covington have chatted back and forth a little bit. And I think that would be a really interesting matchup. Two guys who lost to Kamaro, um, both good striker, or I don't want to say good strikers. Both, both have really, really strong ground games, wrestler versus jujitsu and have shown that they can get it done on the feet as well. Um, I think that would be a really interesting fight that I would want to see. I don't know how eager they'd be to make that matchup, but I think it does make sense in um, several different scenarios. So keep your eye on that as well. Now, moving forward to Rose Namajunas versus Wei Li Zhang. And this fight was more what I expected in comparison to the first fight. And I think a lot of people would agree. Going into that first fight, I thought it was going to be a close, hard-fought battle that Wei Li got the win in, and this was much more like that um, in comparison to the first-round knockout the first time they fought. And this fight shows to me that these two are the best 115-pounders in the planet, and I really don't think you can argue that all that much. I mean, this fight was so incredibly close. Rose has some title defenses. Wei Li has a title defense. Um, you've got Joanna running around who had a war with Wei Li and has fought Rose several times. So um, I think she would probably, I think Joanna would be just outside that top two. And then from there, that division is really, really interesting. And we're going to talk about that more in a second. But um, these two proved proved um, without a doubt that they are the top two fighters in this division and um, I was very impressed by both of their performances I mean both did things that um, I wasn't really expecting both of them turned to wrestling to help them get this win and get on them because the fighter that was able to land takedowns here won rounds right uh, Wei Li landed some takedowns early that helped her secure some rounds. Rose got that takedown in the fifth that helped her control that fifth round. So they both, you went to their wrestling. And I know I know Rose has really good jujitsu, and we saw that when she was on bottom. But she went to her wrestling to get the takedown and to get some ground control and land some ground and pound in that fifth round. So credit to both of them on that. And... Um, in terms of scoring, I wanted to talk about the scoring for this fight as well. Now, 
Verdict MMA, like I said, we're always going to say what Verdict had to say. Verdict gave Whaley rounds one through three and gave Rose rounds four and five. And I think that is the right way to go. And I scored it the same way. I gave Wei Li rounds one, two, and three, and I gave Rose four and five. However, once again, I gave Rose a 10-8 in round five, and that would make it 47-47, and that would be a draw. Now, um, what I do have to say here is the reason that I scored round five, a 10-8, is because when you look at what Rose did that round, you have a situation where Rose gets the takedown early, right? Um, Rose gets the takedown early, probably around the three and a half to four minute mark, and she stays on top the entire round. While she's on top, she she um, lands a lot of good shots. And I think when you control an entire round and land ground and pound, and you show tremendous, in terms, in terms of efficient grappling, um, holding someone down for four minutes while landing ground and pound is about efficient as I can get. That is why I scored that round a 10-8. And... Once, once again, I am okay with someone scoring that a 10-9. Um, I think Usman Covington round two has to be a 10-8, but I don't think that you have to score round five a 10-8. And the close score in this fight largely comes based off of round three. And so... Round three was the closest, and we have um, round three was the closest. And when you look at the official scorecards, Michael Bell gave Wei Li round three, and that is why she won. Michael Bell had the same scorecard as Verdict MMA, with Wei Li winning one and three, and Rose winning four and five. When you look at Eric Cologne. Actually, we're going to talk about Eric last. But then you had Douglas Crosby, who scored at 48-47 for Nama Yunus. However, he, round three being the turning round, he gave the turn, he gave the that round to Wei Li and gave the first round to Wei Li. And then he gave round two to Nama Yunus. Now, what are we what are we doing here, right? I'm cool with the score, and, and by the way, I am cool with the scorecard 48-47 Nami Yunus because I am not mad at anyone who wants to give Nami Yunus rounds 3 through 5. I think that is okay. However, I don't think you can give Wei Li, right, excuse me, I don't think you can give Rose round 2 and give Wei Li round 3. That just doesn't make any sense as to how Rose won round 2. And Eric Cologne who probably turned in the worst scorecard of the night, had it Rose winning rounds two through five. And I think that is criminal. I don't think in any world you you can score four rounds to one um, in that fight. 
So I think that is ridiculous. And I'm currently on MMADecisions.com. And I'm looking at scorecards of media members, right? And a large portion of them gave it to Rose. Um, we had one draw and uh, a handful gave it to Zhang. Um, however, someone scored at 49-46 for Wei Li. And that is um, a terrible scorecard. Even worse than 49-46. Um, Rose. So, uh, don't know how that happened. But um, we're going to move on from that. Because I don't really like talking scoring. But I just wanted to give my opinion on those two fights um, and their scoring particularly. Because I think those are two really interesting fights to, to score where you've got rounds that you can justify giving a 10-8. And you have rounds that you can you know give to either person. Um, so I thought both of those were really interesting. That's why I wanted to talk about them. And now we're going to move into what are Rose Namajunas and Weili Zhang going to do moving forward. Moving forward, we've got what I think the next fight needs to be is Rose Namajunas versus um, Carla Esparza. Now, I am not of the camp that Carla Esparza, like I said earlier, I'm not in the camp that Carla Esparza is the best 155-pounder, or excuse me, 115-pounder in the planet, right? I think Rose, I think Wei Li, and I think Ioana are all better. And that is why I was okay with seeing Wei Li versus Rose, because I thought she was the first or second best 115-pounder in the planet. However, Carla Esparza has won five fights in a row, and I think she has earned a title shot. And you sometimes in MMA, you're going to have to balance, do we give this title shot to the person who has earned it most or the person who has looked the best, right? Um in this situation, does the eye test tell you that Carla Esparza is the best 115 pounder in the world? No, but she has rightfully earned a title shot. And I think this is is not a similar situation, but for example, Glover Teixeira, um, I did not watch him fight and think, okay, he is the best 205 pounder in the planet. Um, I thought he earned his title shot, but he went in there and won. And you need a chance to prove that you are the best, right? And I think Carla Esparza has earned that. And I think she got put on the back burner to... Um, I think she got put on the back burner. And I think now, since we've seen Rose versus Wade League 2, Carla, get in there and uh, get your title shot. That's the way I see it. And now, for Wei Lee, she's in a much more interesting situation because she has far less of a clear path, right? What does Whaley need to do? She lost twice to the champion, and the ultimate goal is to get a championship belt. So how, how do you go about that if you're Whaley? And I think the one interesting person that really is um, kind of holding this this, this um top of this division hostage is Ioana because Whaley versus Ioana would give you the two best non-championship the two best contenders would be fighting one another right but do you do that rematch right now that's a big question um if not what do you do with Ioana and you know 
what do you do with Marina Rodriguez, who has, you know, worked her way to the number three spot in the rankings? That's probably where you book Wei Li. Um, right now, booking Ioana is really hard, so I wouldn't even look into that. But I think Wei Li versus Marina Rodriguez makes a level of sense as Marina has worked her way up. And if she can get a, get a win over Wei Li, she will get a title shot. And a win against Marina for Wei Li, that puts her right back in title conversation. I don't think that would get her a title shot necessarily, but I think it would maybe put her one or two fights away. So I think those are both um, really good options for both of those fighters. Now, moving on, we have, we're we not going to go in bout order. We're going to skip to Gagey versus Chandler, as it was originally supposed to be the third fight um, from the top. Now, um, this is fight of the year. Listen, I love Costa versus Vittori. I love Sanhagen versus Jan, right? Um, however, this is fight of the year. The pure violence that we saw from these two men was incredible. And the fact that, first of all, that first round was ridiculous. Second round, all three rounds are ridiculous. And in the last minute, we got to see Michael Chandler try and do some spinny stuff and try and get a crazy knockout. This is fight of the year. These two guys went out there and put on an absolute war. Now, um, a couple compliments I have. When you get into wars like this, it's hard to give a, a technical breakdown of what happened like we did for Usman versus Covington. You know, just saying a couple of the things I liked from Usman's game plan because really these guys were going out there and trying to hit harder than they were going to get hit and but there were a couple things that stood out to me Gaethje's ability to stay composed right especially in the in the later rounds of that fight um to keep his form right there weren't too many moments where Justin Gaethje was winding up did it happen yes but Gaethje wasn't running around the cage throwing massive shots winding him up he was you know really keeping his form landed a crisp uppercut landed some really nice hooks right he wasn't just running around throwing windmills at Chandler um, which is something that I think is a massive improvement in in his game and shows the evolution of himself as a fighter and I was really impressed with that. Now, for Michael Chandler, um, his chin stood out to me here. Um, I, I'd spoken about his chin and how it worried me, right? Because of the way that he got finished against Pitbull, where Pitbull didn't really clean his clock. Um, Charles Oliveira, who isn't a knockout artist, landed one on his chin and put him away. Um and I thought that we were starting to see that chin slip, um, considering some of the absolute wars that Michael Chandler has been in over the years, um, with the likes of Eddie Alvarez and some others. But that is not what happened. Michael Chandler went out there. He ate some big shots. I mean, in that third round, he was walking them down and taking shots. Were those shots giving Chandler a little bit of wobble? Yeah. Did it get dropped? Yeah, but he never got finished, which is incredible to me here. And moving forward, that's the type of fight that earned Justin Gaethje a title shot. Justin Gaethje has to fight for the title next. 
looking at what Justin Gaethje has done. And I will pull it up because I don't want to, you know, make any mistakes here. Justin Gaethje enters the UFC and he takes on Michael Johnson and he puts on a fight of the night and a fight of the year candidate. He takes two losses to Eddie Alvarez and Dustin Poirier where he he was making that transition to the UFC. It happens, right? And then he goes on a run, takes out James Vick, takes out Edson Barbosa, takes out Donald Cerrone, takes out Tony Ferguson, right? And I'm saying the words takes out because he didn't squeak any decisions here. We We see KO, KO, TKO, TKO, right? He's putting dudes down. And then he earns his title shot, and he loses to Habib by the, by submission, right? Now, since he went on a run, and and uh, largely the losses to Poirier and Alvarez were wars where Gaethje kind of um, wasn't calculated enough. He makes adjustments in his game, works his way to a title shot against Habib, and he loses to Habib. There is absolutely no shame in losing to a all-time great and the best in that weight class, right? Then he comes back, and, you know, the UFC was like, listen, we've got a new champ now, but you still have to earn a title shot. He goes out there and hits Michael Chandler with just about any everything but the kitchen sink, and he gets a very clear, very clear victory um, where he won the second and third rounds there. Now, um, we're in a now we're in a position where the two real contenders we have to earn the next 155 pound title shot is Justin Gaethje, and it's Islam Makhlchev, right? So that's the discussion we have to have with ourselves: is who's going to get the next title shot? Is it Gaethje or is it Islam? And in my mind. You have to give this title shot to Gaethje. Um, if Chandler won, it was going to complement. Com- Ooh, if Chandler won, it was going to complicate things, as he had already lost to Oliveira. Um, but Gaethje hasn't lost to, um, you know, he lost to Poirier. But like we said, that was a different time, and I think he's earned a title shot. He earned it once. He came back, did that performance. Um, Regardless of who wins, Oliveira versus Poirier, assuming that that fight doesn't call for an immediate rematch, assuming there isn't an eye poke that finishes it, assuming there isn't an illegal knee, assuming that someone wins that belt fair and square, you have to see Justin Gaethje versus Dustin Poirier. And Justin Gaethje versus, or excuse me, you have to see Justin Gaethje versus the winner of Poirier and Oliveira. I was getting ahead of myself. Now, as much as I love Charles Oliveira, and straight up, I'd probably I'd probably root for Oliveira versus Poirier. Um, I'd probably root for Oliveira. However, taking into consideration the fact that we could get Dustin Poirier versus Justin Gaethje in a five-round fight for a world title would possibly produce the greatest MMA fight of all time. Very possibly. That That's a very real possibility. That is something that I want to see. Right. As much as Islam Makhlchev has proved that he is a tremendous fighter, Justin Gaethje has earned his right to fight for the title. Um, Islam Makhlchev, right now his best win is Dan Hooker. 
And I know what the common opinion is. Whenever anyone says Islam Makhlchev, his best one is Dan Hooker, the response is, well, Michael Chandler got a, got a title shot against Dan Hooker. Now, let's not play stupid here and pretend like that wasn't a completely different situation. Michael Chandler's title shot against Dan Hooker was a very different situation. Because, one, Habib had retired, and we were looking for two guys to fight for the title, right? In this situation, we're looking for one guy to fight for the title. If the UFC needed one person to fight for the title back in July, when Oliveira and Chandler fought, you would have seen Charles Oliveira fighting for the belt. In this situation... They needed two, so you saw Michael Chandler in there with Charles Oliveira. Now, say something happens, and if that situation, and Dustin was off fighting Connor, so that fight was out of it. If you replay that situation in in the spot we're in now, if you had to come up with, say, Oliveira retired today, and Poirier was going to go fight Connor, or Nate, or Jorge, or whoever, um, and you had to pick from Gaethje, Daryush, Makhlchev, Chandler, RDA, you had to pick from these guys to go earn a title shot, to go, you know, um, give two guys a title shot, you're going to go Justin Gaethje first and Islam Makhlchev second. So, that win over Dan Hooker put Islam Makhlchev in a very similar position as to what put Chandler. Difference being, they needed two guys and one of them couldn't be named Poirier, right? So, that is why Chandler got that shot. Now, that might have been, you know, not the best explanation of what happened, but um, the win that Makhlchev and Chandler have over Dan Hooker shares similar meaning, is basically what I'm saying. However, Justin Gaethje's entire body of work over fighters who, you know, as much as I love Dan Hooker, Dan Hooker got finished by Michael Chandler. And Justin Gaethje beat Michael Chandler. And I know MMA math doesn't work, but that just shows the levels here where, um, you know, Justin Gaethje has earned it is basically what I'm saying. And with that being said, Dan Hooker, I think, will work his way back up to the top five, and we will see Dan Hooker against some of these guys again. I know I just kind of buried him there um, to lift Justin Gaethje, but Dan Hooker is a very good fighter who I think we will see in the top five. Um, within the next year. Now, for Chandler, he is in a really interesting spot. What do we do with Michael Chandler? Um, there's a lot of names running around right now, especially we don't have many booked fights in this 155-pound division, right? Three months ago, the division was entirely booked, and you had nowhere to go. Now those fights have played out, and we've got names who can get booked with other names. And Chandler called for the Conor McGregor fight. Is he going to get that fight? I doubt it. When Conor comes back, I don't think they're going to pair him with a power-punching wrestler. I just don't think that's the way the UFC is going to go. I think what... Sorry about that. I think what is more likely for Michael Chandler is someone like RDA. Um, I think we, once again, I think we need to book Islam versus Benil Daryush. 
However, I wouldn't be opposed to Chandler versus Daryush or Chandler versus Islam. I think both those fights make a level of sense, and um, but I think we're going to see Daryush versus Makhlchev, and that leaves us Chandler with RDA, um, and I think that fight makes a lot of sense, um, and I think it would be a very good fight as well. And then um, that would leave us Tony and Dan Hooker, which I think makes a lot of sense for both guys, really. And then that leaves you Connor kind of out of it. And that wasn't the most in-depth, you know, groundbreaking matchmaking ever. You know, there's no reason to get fancy when three versus four makes sense and five versus six makes sense and seven versus eight makes sense, you know. Um, for Connor, his his, you know, return fight, we're still a couple months away from that. And I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see Connor. You know, we're already booked on pay-per-views up through January. So I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see Connor till March, May, April, somewhere in there. So I'm not overly worried about booking Connor right now. Um, especially, you know, he has voiced the want to go to 170. He's, he's, you know, he's talked about, uh, Max Holloway. He's talked about a lot of different guys. So, um, I think there's a lot of different ways that this can play out. You know, if Max Holloway loses to Yair Rodriguez, I think he's at 155 and he's going to take a couple months to grow. And I think they make Max Holloway versus Conor McGregor. Um, but that obviously all depends on, you know, that's a lot of ifs, right? Um, there's a lot of ifs that need to happen in many situations here before we book Conor McGregor. Um, first, we need to know a date as to when he's going to return. Um, and then we can start looking at names. But right now, that's the way that I would pair this division up. That being just a quick recap. Gaethje gets the winner of Poirier, Oliveira. Then you've got Dardyush. Versus Makhlchev. Then you've got Chandler versus Dos Anjos. And Tony versus Dan Hooker. And then we're going to get some guys in that 10 to 15 range. Some of those guys are going to fight each other. And push their way up into the top 8. And uh, really add some parity to that 155 pound division. Moving on. Frankie Edgar versus Cheeto Vera. Uh, Frankie had a tremendous first round. He went out there. Had some ground control. Looked good. Um, but Cheeto really turned it on in rounds 2 and 3. He was using his length well. The kicks were looking good, and the way that he set up that front kick, he was going teep, 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 just killing Frankie with the teep. Then he goes high, lands the front kick, textbook. Tremendous finish for Cheeto Vera. And, you know, the one thing that really stood out to me here outside of Cheeto's great performance was Frankie Edgar looked small. I mean, Frankie Edgar looked like a 125-pounder fighting a big 135-pounder. He looked outsized. And I don't know if that's because Vera is a massive 135-pounder. I don't know if it's because Frankie is a teeny 135-pounder. I don't really know why. But Frankie looks small in there. And I don't want to be the guy to say, hey, Frankie, you know, hoo-hoo, move down to 125 pounds. But... I mean, I don't know how hard his weight cut is to get to 135. He was a champ at 155. I mean, I, I, I'm sure the 125-pound cut is out of the question right now. But he looked small. It's, it was hard for me to get over. Um, moving forward, 
Cheeto is in a really weird spot. And even if you look at just the rankings, where do you rank Cheeto Vera right now? He lost to Aldo, so he's not going to push through the top five. I don't think he deserves to be ranked ahead of Mirab right now. So I'd slot him. At, you got to go at, can't go higher than six. You've got Cody at seven, who get him out of the rankings, right? We remove fighters for inactivity. Can we remove fighters for having a, for voicing the want to move divisions, right? Cody Garbrandt is now 125 pounder. Don't put him in the rankings at 135. I've said that before on here, so I'm preaching to the choir, but you know, it, it just frustrates me. And then Frankie is at eight. However, looking at Frankie at eight, do you think Frankie, based off what we've seen from Frankie, is better than Pedro Munoz, Marlon Moraes, Dominic Cruz, Rafael Asuncao? You know, even though he's ranked eighth, you know, is he the eighth best bantamweight? I don't know. Um, so we're probably going to see Cheeto Vera slide up to eight in the rankings. And what are we seeing next from Cheeto? It's a good question. I think Marab makes a level of sense as two guys who are just outside that top five at 135 pounds. So um, I think that would make sense. And then the winner breaks into the top five. I also think the winner of Pedro Munoz versus Dominic Cruz makes sense. I think if Dominic Cruz wins, he's going to try and get, you know, an Aldo or a Font or a Sandhagen. But if Pedro Munoz wins, he doesn't have as much name power and star power. So I think that Cheeto fight would make sense. And then for Frankie, Frankie, I, I don't like doing this but can we see a retirement i mean the last two finishes we've seen have been scary right we saw his face get melted by a front kick and we saw him get baptized by Corey sandhagen now um i don't want to keep seeing that because i love frankie edgar i'd like to see him keep fighting but god i don't want to see him keep getting knocked out so um i would call for a retirement but that is just me personally um moving on Billy Quarantillo versus Shane Burgos. Now, these two got robbed, right? Um, Billy Quarantillo versus Shane Burgos is fight of the night many, many nights this year, right? However, when you're fighting on the same card as Gaethje versus Chandler, it's not going to be easy to get the fight of the night award. Um, and they put on an absolute war. Obviously, didn't walk out with the 50 Gs, but... Um, they went out there and fought. And Shane Burgos defends his spot in the rankings against Billy Quarantillo. And Shane looked really good. And, you know, Shane is a top-tier um, fighter who has lost some fights, right? But he, Shane Burgos only loses two great fighters. Um, lost to Edson Barbosa. He, he lost to Kelvin Cater, I believe, before that. He lost to Josh Emmett before that. Oh, he never lost to Kelvin Cater. Hmm. Oh, he lost to Kelvin Cater in 2018. So he lost to Kelvin Cater in 2018. Then he beat Cub. He beat Kurt Hollabaugh. He beat Maquan Americani. He lost to Josh Emmett, right? He lost to Edson Barbosa. So he really only loses to top-tier guys. Um, now, what is next for Shane Burgos? I would like to see Sadiq Yusuf. I'm a big Sadiq Yusuf guy. Yusuf lost to Arnold Allen, who was all the way up to six in the rankings. 
And I think Shane Burgos versus Sadiq Yusuf would be a very fun and entertaining fight. So that is the direction I would like to see for Burgos. And for Billy Quarantillo, I would like to see him fight Hakeem Dawadu. I think that would also be a war, another fight of the night potential fight like fight. Um, you know, Hakeem Dawadu is in a similar situation. He went in there against a ranked opponent in Mozart Avalev and uh, did not leave with a victory. Um, won around against Mozart, which is impressive in its own right. But I think, you know, Quarantillo and Hakeem Dawadu both would put on a great fight and both have recently lost um, it against a ranked opponent. So I think that makes a level of sense. Now we are at 48 minutes. So we're going to cut it there in terms of talking about individual fights. Um, now, before we move on, I think it would to before we move on to next week's fight card. I think I think I would be remiss to not talk about some of the tremendous performances that we saw. So I'm going to talk about some of these um, very quickly. This is going to be rapid fire. We saw Ian Gary get a big time knockout over Jordan Williams. Now, for Ian Gary, I think he's got a lot of potential, but you know. He was kind of, you know, I don't want to say he was losing that round, but he, he saw some challenges in that first round against Jordan Williams before he ended him, which credit for ending him. But um, I think we need to see a similar guy, um, Ian Gary versus another guy of Williams's caliber. Um, Chris Barnett went out there and showed why he is one of the most entertaining heavyweights. Spinning heel kick KO. You shouldn't be able to do, to do that with that frame, but he can. Good Lord. And... He proved that he is one of the funniest guys in that division as well. For Barnett, um, what's next? I wouldn't push him all the way um, to the rankings. I think he's got a quick minute to go before the rankings. But um, guys, once again, in the similar level as the Ben Rothwells. And um, I can't remember who he fought. What? I mean, Gian Vellante. Um, so similar guy um, as... as in, in similar range there. Alex Pereira, very interesting, um, but tremendous knockout, um, flying knee knockout, pitcher perfect. Um, right, he was kind of getting out grappled there, so I'm interested to see um, who the UFC books him against next. Um, but I think, once again, a couple more fights before we break into those rankings. I think we need some more development there. Chris Curtis. Knocked out Philip Hawes, which is wild because he was really needed. Uh, he was he was not looking great in that first round, but he got the knockout. Tremendous. Bobby Green went out there and landed a crisp 1-2 to put out Al Iaquinta. So, tremendous fight for Bobby Green. Bobby Green, once again, has cemented himself as one of those guys in that range of top 155 pounders who are just outside the rankings. So, tremendous performance by Bobby Green. Now, um, a couple more rapid fires on not so high notes. So, uh, we got to talk about um, Al Quinta and Edmund Shabazian because both of these guys are in really interesting spots and I don't know what to do with them, right? Both of these guys are guys who are on losing streaks. Al Quinta has been out a minute. Edmund Shabazian had some of the highest potential in the UFC. Now, um, Edmund Shabazian, can we get him in there with a striker? Um, not someone who's going to take him down and take him down and elbow his face in. 
great. Give him some time to work on that striking and develop, or excuse me, give him some time to develop that wrestling and get him in there with some strikers. For Al Iaquinta, um, I don't think Al Iaquinta is done, even though he's on a three-fight slide. Um, Al Iaquinta is still very, very talented, but he hadn't fought in a while, so this could be some ring rust. Um, get Al Iaquinta another fight of someone of Bobby Green's caliber. He doesn't need to start fighting bombs because he's still a tremendous fighter. Um, but that just wasn't his night, and I'm sure the layoff um, did not help him in there. So get him someone um, of a similar caliber. Maybe a Drew Dober would make sense in my opinion. Now, we are going to move on to UFC Fight Night. Max Holloway versus Yair Rodriguez. Now, let me start this off by saying this. This bout order that I'm seeing on Tapology, Tapology is usually pretty correct, but this bout order looks terrible, absolutely terrible. Right? We got to move some things around because this is not making sense. Um, because right now, if you, you know, you know, we're just gonna. We're just going to talk about the fights the way they are, right? We don't need to get into the bout order because that's not my job, right? Main event, we've got Max Holloway versus D.A. Rodriguez. Winner is fighting Alex Volkanovsky, okay? Max Holloway, if he wins, obviously, he gets that fight. But if if Yair Rodriguez wins, you know, you just beat Max Holloway. That's enough to earn a title shot in my book. Um, Now, what's my opinion on this fight, you might be asking? Well, I'm not going to tell you. Okay, Max Holloway is by far my favorite favorite fighter, um, by far, right? So if you ask me for opinion on Max Holloway, I'm going to be pretty biased towards Max Holloway, and I'm also very superstitious, so um, we don't need to be talking about um, Max Holloway. So, sorry if you wanted to, I'll give a breakdown for just about any other fight that's happening, but this one I'm just scared to. My bad. Moving on, we've got Ben Rothwell versus Marcos Rodrero de Lima in the co-main event. This is what I was talking about. What's going on with the bout order? I don't know why this is the co-main event. However, we we move. And um, what are we, you know, whatever. This fight is, you know, I want to, I feel like I'm being rude, but um just not really a fight that I'm overly interested in seeing. Um, sorry. Felicia Spencer versus Leah Letson. Um, this fight is, you know, gonna be kind of interesting. Leah Letson is making her UFC debut. Hasn't fought since 2018 on the Ultimate Fighter 28 finale. And this is a fight at, um, 145 pounds, so, you know, maybe we can see someone that will be taking on Amanda Nunes in the future, so that is interesting. Then, at middleweight, we've got Kyle Daskus versus Roman Dolice, and another fight that I really like this fight, Roman Dolice has earned his way to, you know, a very impressive record, has beat some good fighters, and Kyle Daskus He's stepping in on short notice as well. Kyle Dowskis also worked his way up to the rankings, was supposed to fight Kevin Holland, um, had the no contest not too long ago. So um, we'll see how this fight plays out, but this is an interesting fight. 
Song Yudong versus Julio Arce. Song Yudong is ranked 15th at Bantamweights, I believe. Julio Arce has worked his way up as well to uh, the rankings. I'm surprised they gave him a ranked fight. Um, coming off a win over Andre Ewell. Um, you know, a loss to Hakeem Dawadu, who is a 145-pounder, so I guess that makes sense. But um, we'll see how that fight plays out as well. Some very interesting fights here. I'm just kind of spitballing about some of the fights that I like and, and, and am interested in. Tiago Moises versus Joel Alvarez is a really, really interesting fight. Tiago Moises is a very talented guy who we've seen um, look great in some fights, and he's only lost to you know high-level competition in the UFC. He's got a lot in the UFC. He's lost to Benil Dariush, um, Demir Izmogulov, and Islam Makhachev. So um, only lost to some really good fighters. And um, Joel Alvarez also, his last loss being to Demir Izmogulov. Um, so he is someone who, you know, um, Demir, that is. You know, look out for him because he is going to be pretty good. I think he was supposed to fight a couple months, a couple weeks ago, but that got canceled. Anyways, 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 we're losing track here. Um, but that's a fight of two lightweights. Um, one guy's ranked fifteenth. One guy's trying to break into the rankings. Two really good future talents. Make sure you tune into that one. Then we've got Cynthia Calvillo versus Andrea Lee. Two ranked fighters at 115 pounds. So um, Cynthia Calvillo is currently fifth in those rankings. So this fight means a lot, a lot. Um, Andrea Lee is down at 12. So this fight is pretty important in the long scheme of things. Cynthia Calvillo uh, coming off losses to Andrade and Chikagian. But um, this is someone who the UFC has always tried to push. Because if she can get to um, the top, she's gonna she's gonna have a fast fast track to the title fight, as she is the highest ranked fighter that Shevchenko has not fought. So um, watch her performance. Then we've got Miguel Baeza versus Chaos Williams, which might be the fight that I'm um, most excited for outside of Max Holloway. My Miguel Baeza is someone that I think I've talked about um, a long time ago. On the podcast, um, when I was doing, I, when we first started this, we talked a lot more about up and coming prospects. We've kind of let that slip, but Miguel Baeza is someone who I have always been very high on, and his win over Takashi Sato really impressed me. That's when um, I was kind of, you know, sold on him. Matt Brown, he's got to win over Matt Brown as well. So my Miguel Baeza has a very impressive track record as a fighter. Um, lost to Santiago Ponzinibbio um, back this summer. Nothing to hang your head on there, just a decision. He didn't get knocked out or anything. So Miguel Baeza is working his way up to the rankings at 185, 170 pounds, excuse me. He's taking on Chaos Williams, who if you've, watched Chaos Williams fight. He is a tremendous, tremendous fighter and who always puts on fun fights. Hasn't lost. His last loss was to Michelle Pereira. 
and that was back last December, and that was a really interesting fight to watch where Pereira, you know, kind of flipped the switch on his career um, in terms of his style a little bit, came in a little less aggressive, and, but Chaos Williams is someone who has caught a lot of people's eye at 170 pounds, so these are two guys who a lot of people like at 170 pounds, this should be on the main card. I love this fight. Don't miss this fight. And then some more prelims fights. Prelim fights, excuse me. We've got Sean Woodson versus Colin England. Um, two guys. Um, I don't want to say young up and comers, but you know, both have you know about ten fights in professional MMA, and both of them, you know, you know, coming off some losses and well, not some losses. Um, Colin England lost his last fight, um, and Sean Woodson lost two fights ago. So neither guy here is really in a bad spot, but um, some some good fighters here. Now we've got Courtney Casey versus Liana Yoja, and that is Liana is someone who many people like and look highly upon. Um, at that flyweight division. So watch this fight as well. And then Mark Diacasey versus Rafael Alves. And if you don't know who Mark Diacasey is, um, you should be ashamed of yourself. And Rafael Alves has been on a really good run. And the theme of this episode is he his last loss is to Demir Imagolov. So um, once again... He had before that he had several you know five wins in a row it looks like so Rafael Alves um, is no bum and Mark Diacasey is one of the funnest fighters to watch great kicks great striking um, make sure you tune in to that fight and our last fight on the card is Kenny whose name I always struggle to pronounce yeah whatever or er, Kennedy excuse me. And you would know Kennedy if you saw him. Light heavyweight. Last fight against Carlos Alberg. Always gets into great fights against Da Wu Zhang. Now this fight is, once again, this fight is two of the most entertaining fighters at 100 or 205 pounds. You don't want to miss this one either. So this fight card is pretty strong. It might not have the ranked fights that you would want. But it's got a lot of fights that are up-and-coming prospects going up against each other. You've got some fighters who are both really entertaining matchup with each other. So, um, for a fight night, to have a headline of Max Holloway versus Yair Rodriguez, you're already off to a good start. And there are a handful of other fights that are very interesting and that you don't want to miss. Now... That is all I have this week. There was not any news that stood out to me that we needed to talk about. Um, which means eventually here, we're going to get a week with 15 fight announcements. Um, because we haven't, we only had one fight announcement throughout the week. And it was Tom Aspinall versus Shamil. So there was that booked. Um, outside of that, it's been a light two weeks on news. Largely because we've had some pay-per-views. And... Maybe we'll get some news this week, but we've got a Max Holloway fight coming up. So I wouldn't be surprised if the UFC does a news dump this week or next week. Um, they're probably working on some stuff behind the scenes. 
And when they do dump that news, we'll be here to talk about it. But um, for right now, that's all we have for this week. Make sure you turn in next week to talk about Max Holloway versus D.A. Rodriguez. Um, that fight is very, very important. And when Yeah Rodriguez fights and when Max Holloway fights, you don't know what you're going to see. This could be a wild fight. This could be a fight of the year contender. So make sure you tune in next week because we're going to be breaking it all down. And once again, thank you for watching this episode of the Head Kick Kale podcast. And before you get out of here, make sure you like and subscribe and follow me on my other social medias, Twitter and TikTok. Once again, we forgot to post on TikTok all week. Yes, I love it when I do that. But um, for real, though, TikTok is going to start heating up. Twitter has been heating up. So make sure you go follow on those platforms, Headkick KO Podcast, and both of those, same logo, pretty easy to find. But thank you for watching to this episode on YouTube or listening on your podcast subscribe or on your podcast platform. And we will see you next week. Goodbye.